You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. The human tongue can launch enterprises and businesses. The human tongue can inspire learning and students, the next generation. The human tongue can communicate the eternal word of God to the souls of men so that they can be saved. The human tongue can also break people apart. The human tongue can add deceit into the message of the Bible and end up leading people astray and into the very gates of hell. Pastor Tom will mention an interesting fact today. The tongue, that small piece of muscle in your mouth, doesn't weigh even a single pound but it's possibly the most powerful part of your entire body. As Pastor Tom reminds you in his message, the words that come from that tongue can do incredible things, both good and bad. Words can destroy in an instant. They can cause a ripple effect of evil, or they could start a movement of truth and goodness. So how are you using this small piece of flesh? Now here's Pastor Tom in the book of James chapter three, as he continues his message, wielding your tongue for good or for ill. The purpose in all of this, the aim in the bit and the bridle, was to secure the horse's obedience. That was what was trying to happen here. Didn't just want to control the mouth of the horse, but the whole animal, the direction the animal would go and how fast it would go, where it would turn and when it would stop. And so the point here is that little can control large when understanding is applied to the use of the little. The larger things are not always in control, so don't think of them that way. And so the point is, with the tongue, that is true as well. Though it is tiny, it controls so much, so much. So much of life is controlled by our tongues. So much of what transpires in our life is controlled by the tongue. So much of what happens in your life, the way your life plays out is controlled by your tongue. If you would think about what you're saying, and be more careful with it, you'd see God work and direct your life that way. But let's go to the second illustration just to reinforce this. Look at verse four. In verse four, he says, look at the ships or behold the ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. Now here, James kind of says, look, it's interesting. He says, look again, behold, the Greek term is idu. It just means, you know, look up and behold something else. And almost like they lived near the sea. Some of the ones that James would be writing to here would be around the Mediterranean Sea. And they'd seen the scene before on the sea, big ocean going, sea going vessels. He says, look up, look at that big ship out there on, on the uh, sea, on the Mediterranean Sea. Look at the size of that. Who controls that? And he gets them to think about the stern of the boat and the little rudder that is in the back there and says, you see, it's going to go wherever the pilot says for it to go. Another great example. You know, um, the ancients, uh, their ships were not quite as big as ours are. I mean, it's their, their ships, uh, we have giant ships these days, but the principle still is the same, isn't it? But there's some indication, and archaeology is revealing more and more interesting facts about the fact that these uh, these ancients actually made larger ships than sometimes we realize. Now, we're not talking about Noah's, Noah's uh, Ark. We're not uh, talking about that. That wasn't really made to, to cruise around. It was meant to survive all the tidal waves that were coming at that time. And that was 450 feet long. That was a long, long boat. But if you think about the size of ancient ships, 
for an ancient man, as he's standing on the shore or he's at the docks and he's looking at the size of these ships, they were immense. Some of them may have been a few hundred feet long. In Acts 27, 37, it says that there were 276 people on board the ship which Paul was taking to Rome. He was being escorted, of course. He was under arrest and he was going to Rome. 276 people, that's a decent-sized boat. So for ancient man, as they looked at these ships, this was humongous, a lot larger than a, a horse. You try to control a horse by hand, you know, and you don't have any other control, just your hands. Well, good luck with that. That's going to be difficult. That's going to be hard. Now imagine a, a ship out in the water and all you have is your hands to control it. And that's the only way you're going to try to move it around. Well, you'll just be dragged along. You might even be crushed under its weight if you're not careful. But please notice it's not just the ship's size that makes it so hard to control, but even more, there's an element that is brought along here. Notice that James adds the reality of the ship on the water, out on the ocean, and what happens down on the ocean, what happens by the sea. You've been out to the beach, you know, and that is the winds become stronger out there, right? There's, no, there's nothing to hold the winds back, and so they blow and they blow, and sometimes they become very strong, very, very harsh kinds of winds. Now you think of a ship being blown along by the winds, what's going to control that? Well, a horse, of course, is a beast. It has its own will. It wants to eat here. It wants to turn there. It sees something that it likes over there, and it has to be controlled. A ship doesn't have a will of its own, but now the wind kind of comes in and becomes the will that drives the ship, driven by strong gusts or prevailing winds. Ferocious storms can even develop over the sea. In Acts 27.4, referring again to that trip that Paul had to take from, uh, from Palestine to Rome, they had to seek shelter along Cyprus and then Crete and some other islands on their way through the Mediterranean because of these big contrary winds. And Paul warned them and warned them, and then eventually that ship was shipwrecked, and they came up on the shore on Malta. But great winds could batter and destroy ships as they do even now. You know, we know something about strong winds. We're near the Atlantic Ocean. It's supposed to be the, the rougher of the oceans that produces these great storms. And we just dodged, what was it, uh, what was the name of that storm? Wyokim or something like that. And uh, 145 mile an hour winds. And uh, we were all like hoping that wouldn't come here. Some of you were talking about your roofs and all of that. Winds can do a lot of damage. Well, look what it did to that one cargo ship out in the Atlantic. And who knows, other ships as well. Just powerful, powerful storms. The wind just drives them and drives them. Well, the, the rudder is so, so crucial. The rudder really, in comparison to the ship, is only a few feet long. You know, the, with the rudder, though, the captain feels at least to some degree that he's in charge. He can steer the ship. The winds come and he knows how to manipulate it and move it where he wants the ship to go. It's according to where the pilot wants that ship to go. It's the inclination of the pilot, please notice. The ship's not supposed to be in charge, nor even the winds, but the pilot. And the pilot relies on that small rudder to make sure it gets where it needs to go. Do you see the analogy? Do you, do you get the analogy? The larger human body is here, but it's controlled by the smaller tongue. The tongue then is controlled by what? The inclination of the pilot or human desire. What it is that you want. What's going on inside your soul. We could take this illustration and we could modernize it. We could say the same is true of the automobile. Take the steering wheel away from the automobile, what happens? How are we going to control that? Imagine trying to push that around, pull that around, turn this around the corner. 
That little wheel is all we need. And the whole giant car, however many thousands of pounds it is, or a truck, we just control it by the wheel. You know, and it's so easy to do that there, isn't it? The small controls the large. So the point of the two illustrations is kind of brought out in verse 5. That's kind of the underline. This is the part you're to underline and understand for application. Look at verse 5 again. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. So the adult human body weighs uh, how much? I know you say, well, that depends a lot. Anywhere from around 100 pounds to whatever it may be, right? I recently read the average weight of an American male is around 166 pounds. How much does your tongue weigh? The human skull weighs 10 pounds, I read. Your skin, put it all together, I guess all the layers is 8 to 10 pounds. I didn't know it weighed that much. The human brain weighs about 3 pounds. Human heart, 9 to 12 ounces. The lungs are about two and a half pounds. Muscles and bones are much more. Your tongue actually weighs only about three ounces. I thought, wow, there's only three ounces in there. That's not much. How tall are you? Some of you are like, you know, you're like me, you're short. Others of you are, are tall. You're 72 inches or more. Your tongue, it's only four inches. I guess if you stretch the whole thing out, it's four inches. Don't do that, by the way. It's not much. Three ounces, four inches. Not much. By the way, just for fun, the blue whale tongue, blue whale tongue, 6,000 pounds. That's the weight of six or more horses. That's a whale of a tongue, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> but by comparison to their bodies, 420,000 pounds. Tongue's nothing. Six thou. But a blue whale's tongue doesn't get it in trouble with men and God. Nor can a blue whale's tongue boast great things. No, it can't. It can feed an Eskimo village for a winter, but it can't boast great things. Boast. Boast. Now, James is not saying that the tongue shouldn't actually be boasting about that. His point at this stage is that the tongue actually can boast because the tongue actually is that powerful. The tongue actually can do the things we're talking about. Alkeo is the verb in Greek, boast. Thayer's Dictionary gives it this definition. Properly to lift up the neck, hence to boast. Let me tell you what I can do would be the idea. The boast is a real boast. The human tongue really has great ability. This is not an empty boast. What can the human tongue boast about? What can it talk about and say that it can do? What can the human tongue accomplish? A lot. The human tongue can bring people together. The human tongue can launch enterprises and businesses the human tongue can inspire learning and students, the next generation. The human tongue can communicate the eternal word of God to the souls of men so that they can be saved. The human tongue can also break people apart. The human tongue can add deceit into the message of the Bible and end up 
leading people astray and into the very gates of hell. The human tongue can and does deceive millions, millions. The human tongue, uncontrolled, can start wars. The human tongue can lead to genocide. Look at what the tongue of Jesus Christ accomplished just in his three and a half years of teaching on this earth. It changed the entire planet, the entire course of human history. I still won't say BCE for BC. It's before Christ and it's anodonomy, BC and AD. I'm still going by that. The world has been changed. History is understood through the tongue of Jesus Christ. Look at what the tongue of Peter did. Peter's tongue, where he was always sticking foot in mouth, right? And then in Acts 2, he preaches the first Christian sermon and thousands of Jews come to the saving knowledge of Christ. Priests followed suit as well. This untaught fisherman from Galilee. Never underestimate the power of your tongue when the word of God is placed inside of it. Think about the tongue of James here, or I should say the pen, in this inspired letter, transforming the practice and faith of saints now for 20 centuries, this little letter is done. The tongue can boast. The tongue does great things. The tongue can smooth or the tongue can agitate. The tongue can truly help or it can hurt. It can charm or it can repulse. It can, it can edify or it can debilitate. Your tongue can ruin your marriage or your tongue can raise godly children. Your tongue can anger your brother or your tongue can be a peacemaker. The tongue was the power behind the rise of the Third Reich in Germany. The tongue of Churchill won the war by winning it first with his words. Martin Luther launched the Protestant movement with 95 theses, words, nailed to a door. Your tongue matters also. Simple everyday people have made great contributions to the kingdom of God because they've decided to prayerfully use their tongue and they will be rewarded for it as well. I love the words of the blind man who is healed in John 9, this simple blind man before all the learned religious men and they're trying, to, they're trying to get him to give glory to God and not glory to this healer named Jesus from Nazareth and the words of the blind man retorting to them are this. Well, here is an amazing thing that you do not know where Jesus is from and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, God hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Simple logic being used, correcting all of these religious leaders. What about the tongue of Priscilla, along with her husband, Aquila? Took the great and mighty Apollos, who was described as mighty in the scriptures, yet he didn't understand the scriptures in Christ all that well. They take him aside and she instructs him in the way of the Lord more carefully in Acts 18.26. How is it that Peter came to be the mighty apostle and a disciple of Jesus? The answer is his brother, Andrew, his younger brother, who said to him in John 1.41, come, we have found the Messiah. That's all he had to say. And his tongue was used that day. 
What way would your tongue be used if you just gave people simple invitations? Come, come to church, come to a conference, come listen to this CD, come to a Bible study. And you just said, come and see, come see what it's like. And you just used your tongue this week or this month in some way. You could change someone's life and other people's lives as well just by the use of your tongue. Yes, your tongue matters very much. How you wield your tongue matters to your children. It matters to your elderly parents. It matters to your coworkers. It matters to the workers and the nurses and the teachers and the coaches that you will come across this very week. It matters to the person working at the movie theater or the electrician who comes to your home. It matters to that person who's standing in front of you in the long line at Walmart or the post office or Dunkin' Donuts and you have a minute to talk with them. Your tongue matters very much. If this principle works for horses and ships, how much more for humans? Ultimately, it's not the bit or the rudder which controls the horse or the ship. It is the rider. It is the pilot. Be the rider and the pilot of your own tongue and ask the Holy Spirit to help. That spirited steed of the previous verse is like a symbol of your kicking flesh. It doesn't want to cooperate. Make it cooperate. You need to control it. And only the guidance of God, the Holy Spirit, in your heart and mind, taking truths of Scripture, will allow you to grab greater and greater control of your tongue. And I told you we're getting to that application. This passage calls for a full investigation. Who is your pilot? Who is your writer? Who controls your tongue? Why do you say the things that you say? Why is your tongue flapping? What is it accomplishing? Who guides it? If you look just down below at verse 13, just glance a little bit further into the letter, you'll notice that James will instruct wisdom, true wisdom. He says it's things like gentleness and it's peaceable. Wisdom that comes not from this world, but it comes down from above. That's the kind of wisdom that has to guide your mind, your heart. And if that's the kind of wisdom that guides your mind and your heart, then your tongue will speak from your heart, right? The way you'll grab control of the tongue is by having control of your mind and your heart. But again, we haven't gotten there yet. We have more to learn about the power of the tongue. And here, we're really going to learn it. The third indication of the power of the tongue is in verses 5 and 6. And that is the end of verse 5 and end of verse 6. And that is that the tongue destroys the tongue destroys and this is this is really quite a description here see how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire and the tongue is a fire the very world of iniquity the tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life And look at this last description. And is set on fire by Gehenna, hell. Wow. The first two illustrations, horse and ship, well, that could be positive or that could be negative. Here, though, James really exposes the evil and dangerous and burning and destructive and worldly influence of the tongue. And he chooses a raging fire as the next illustration. This is not a refiner's fire here, brothers. This is a raging, destructive, consuming, and burning fire. 
fire like a forest fire, the tongue can become. A fire which defiles the entire body. A fire which burns the course of our life. A fire which finds its fiery source in the fires of hell. Brothers and sisters, you will not find in all of the Bible a more negative description of the tongue than right here in James 3. What power, what destructive power. James again issues an invitation. Come on, look and see, just like he did with the ships. In this case, sometimes the greatest lessons in life are learned when we look at something we don't want to look at at all. It's something ugly. It's something evil. It's something we'd rather turn our heads away from. But some of the best lessons are when parents force their kids to look at a mess they made and ask them, why is it this way? Or look at something that just got ruined and say, why is it this way? And it's kind of what God is doing in this passage. Think about what the tongue can do. Focus. I know you want to turn your head away. and You don't want to listen to this. But listen, you're going to learn a great lesson here. It's important. Hopefully you'll look at this and say, I never want to be like that. I never want my tongue to be like that. I don't want to be around somebody like that. This is terrible. This is just awful. And this is what James is attempting to do here. See how great a forest, a hule, a forest. Actually, that term can mean a stack of lumber or it can refer to the entire forest. I think in this context, it favors the whole forest idea because his point is that it's very destructive. It's something very notable and a little burning of a stack of wood wouldn't be all that notable. So he's talking about a forest fire, basically. Now, Knowing the vegetation in the land of Israel, don't picture yourself giant sequoias here, you know, or, or redwoods. Think of a lot of uh, bushes and brush and things like that that can get very dry in the dry season, but also can ignite very quickly. They have a drier climate, much like you'd see in California. And so picture that in your mind. A lot of thick shrubbery growing along hillsides, maybe some trees mixed in there. That's how it often is out west, and that's how often the fires get started. A little flame happens, it starts, it jumps into some bushes, and it spreads until hopefully it reaches one of the fire breaks that are there. And then it's very dry, and because it's very dry, and because there's a lot of bush, because that's in abundance, then the fire can spread quickly. James describes it as being set aflame. So you light it, and then it really just sets aflame. It could really get going quickly. A little bit of wind blowing in behind it, and it's worse, right? All of a sudden, the whole forest becomes a tinderbox, very combustible. And it can all start, James's point is, it can all start, and often does start, not with a large fire, but a small one. One match. One match. Striking, dropped in the wrong spot, can start a burning that can't be stopped Thousands of firefighters will be needed. Helicopters dropping their water on it. That's the picture we have out west. One match. One campfire that was left alone. One misplaced torch. Thousands, tens of thousands of consumed acres. Terrible. Ruining habitat for everybody. Terribly destructive. All right, for you, picture the beautiful forest that you saw in the way to church today. All of the colors and just maybe you stood in front of one this past week and you heard the birds singing and it's just beautiful and the wind's blowing through the tree. Now imagine a forest fire coming through that and you're standing in exactly the same spot. Now what do you see? It's all charcoal, right? It's still smoldering. The smoke is coming up and that beautiful scene with all those animals, that lovely forest, it's now all gone. It's all burned. What's left? 
That's the destructiveness of a fire. That's the destructiveness of a tongue can be. And it all just starts with one word, one match. That's the illustration. Verse 6 ties the comparison to the tongue. Just as you see the destructive nature of fire unleashed, so the tongue can cause that kind of damage. What did you say this past week, even this past hour? Can you recall a specific time you built up another person's confidence? Did you share hope and joy to others? Or could it be that you used your words to pull someone down or get your own way? Pastor Tom cautioned you today to stay alert in how to use your tongue, remembering how powerful it is and how much destruction it can cause. With sad yet hope-filled hearts, we want to let you know that Pastor Tom Lee, the voice you've been listening to today, has gone home to be with Jesus. Pastor Tom served the Lord faithfully here on earth for 24 years, pastoring thousands and helping to create a network of like-minded churches in the Mid-Atlantic region. He shared the gospel unashamedly, shining light into this dark world. Pastor Tom will be missed, but we rejoice that he is healed and with his Savior. If you would like to learn more about Pastor Tom and his legacy, visit hopebible.org. Now, here's a preview of the next edition of Discover Hope. Think of a forest fire. When it's over, there's miles and miles of destroyed land, and it all started with a single spark, a tiny flame. Pastor Tom will explain next time on Discover Hope that this is the same for words. One little insult or a tiny piece of gossip develops a life of its own so quickly, and the damage it does is irreversible. Watch your tongue, and don't engage in spreading a flame that will harm others. There's much more to learn from the book of James, so we hope you'll tune in next time. If you'd like to listen again to today's teaching or share it with friends and family, you can find it online at hopebible.org. Thanks for joining us on Discover Hope.